Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of History by Hopkins. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, today we're, it's, it's going to involve some history of course, everything that I talk about normally does, whether you want it to or not. Uh, and, well first of all, let's, let's, Let's get into some of the charities that I think you should donate to. Uh, the first one is the uh, the one I'm always going to plug, the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. They help out sailors and Marines with uh, very vital needs. Uh, I've seen them firsthand help out people, and uh, I just I think if you have some spare cash, you should definitely donate to them. Uh, you should also, if you have some spare cash, please donate to uh, the Mercy Ships. They uh, go all over the world and teach uh, and help with uh, medical uh, needs for third world countries. They train uh, medical personnel in other countries. They, they provide equipment, gear, surgeries, that sort of thing. It, it's something that I think is, is, is really needed education and medical help is is always needed in the world and uh, the third one that I think you should donate to um, is War Child which is a charity that uh, helps fund education and uh, economic needs of children displaced and orphaned and affected by wars kids who live in war zones so yeah if you if you have some spare bucks please donate so uh this episode like i like i said in the beginning it's it's going to be different uh i'm i'm going to incorporate something that i'm very into something that i'm very uh Something that I nerd out on all the fucking time. And something that, in all honesty, probably won't be that far from where we are now. And, uh, that is the idea of robots. <laughs> and in this case, rights for artificial intelligence. So, what am I really getting at? I'm about to bore your fucking pants off, and you're going to sit there, and you're going to like it. So, when I was, I want to say... 9 or 10, so this is 1999 or the year 2000. I was living with my grandparents. They raised me. And uh, they had... <laughs> so, you know, book bookshelves at the library? Uh, they had bookshelves... They had a bunch of them. And 
instead of being filled with books, they were filled with VHSs. And it was just this library of movies. And I, around this age, I wasn't very social. We didn't live in podunk nowhere, but we also didn't live uh, within the town of Chesterton, which is where I was, I was raised. So we were kind of in this weird middle ground where you're not close to anybody and you're not far, but it's that awkward kind of length where if you don't own a car, you better have a bike. And if you have a bike, you better dedicate two fourths of your day to biking to wherever you're going and then biking back. So a lot of my time was spent at home, uh, I especially during the summers. All you had was time at home. Uh, so I would read and I would play video games and I would watch movies. I became... And still am very much today uh, a film buff. I became a film snob <laughs> at the age of 10. And I blew through Disney movies, went completely through uh, adolescent, hokey, teen movies... And I went straight for the jugular with super adult, rated R, violent, uh, sexual, uh, adult-humored, adult story, adult-themed, uh, heavy concepts. And I would just watch all these movies. Every summer, I would just binge movies uh, and, and eventually when I became a, a, a teenager I would discover HBO and I would watch things that you definitely shouldn't watch as a teenager like Oz uh, which was arguably the, the very first one hour uh segment series that tried to tell a real story about something that a lot of people really had no idea about. And it also aggrandized things and blew things out of proportion. Um, but Oz and Spawn, the animated series on HBO, really opened my mind to the idea of uh, story, long-term storytelling and worlds within worlds comic books did that too but not in the way that series did for me and as much as i liked uh the sopranos and 
Oz and uh, Spawn, which to this day is the greatest uh, comic made into a film, even though it's not live action, it doesn't have to be. (laughs) Spawn, the animated series, is still, to this day, here on in 2021, uh, the best superhero uh, film ever made. It's not a movie. It's a series, but I don't give a shit. And if you haven't seen Spawn, the animated series, by HBO, you are doing yourself a fucking disservice, and you need to go watch it immediately. You can pause my podcast willy-nilly and just go fucking watch it and then come all right back, and you will understand. So I got into these worlds and I started to appreciate world building and I started to appreciate genres where you could find these worlds, like how Game of Thrones is not just uh, medieval folklore, it's also fantasy folklore, it's also uh, cosmic horror, and it's also a political uh, world and it's all melded into one and it's all these different genres so even if you don't like one genre don't worry another one is going to show up pretty soon if you wait a couple minutes that's what I like about Game of Thrones which is a world that I cannot stress to you how painfully I know that world I can tell you uh, the different sigils for the different houses, what their words are, who they're loyal to, uh, what what they make, uh, what they contribute to the economy of (laughs) Westeros or uh, Xanatos, which is the – I'm sorry. It's called Planetos, which is the – the the world that Game of Thrones takes place on. I can tell you flora and fauna. I can tell you who makes what. I can tell you generations of characters never even mentioned in the show. Uh, All to my own enjoyment. It has never once served me uh, in real life, and I don't care. It's just something I love. But I... I get deeply and irrevocably involved and and in love with these these worlds and going sir, this this will all make sense. So circling back when I was 10 so in the summer of 2000 I found a movie in my grandparents VHS library called Blade Runner. And Blade Runner is not it it's not a kids movie. <laughs> it's not. Blade Runner is today you call it cyberpunk. Um what it really is, it's a melding of science fiction like a future futuristic world full of crazy technology 
mixed with the detective noir genre of the 1950s. Those old black and white movies where you'd have a a grizzled detective who's been on the job just a little bit too long, uh, a jaded cop uh, who's trying to solve an unsolvable crime or solve a crime that uh, a crime of the week or something like that. You know, it's it's some fucking detective with five o'clock shadow who's been up all night trying to solve a murder, except with cyberpunk or Blade Runner, it's that movie, but it's also mixed with sentient robots. And there's themes of slavery, there's themes of justice, which is a word I'm throwing out there because I am having trouble finding the right words. Uh, it's it's a movie that at the time I didn't understand it I just knew it was cool and I knew that it was fascinating to me so Blade Runner came out in 1982 and it was directed by Ridley Scott and it stars Harrison Ford and Sean Young and one of my favorite actors, Mr. Olmos. And it's got Rugger Hauer and it's it's just got a fucking all-star cast. So what it's about is there's a detective named Deckard, except he's not on the job anymore. His job is called being a Blade Runner. Now, Blade Runners are detectives for police departments who their sole job is to hunt down robots who are essentially human. They look human completely. Except they're called replicants. So Deckard is a former Blade Runner who used to hunt replicants. And replicants are purpose-built robots who look like normal humans male and female, all colors, all shapes, all sizes. And they are made by a company called Tyrell Corp. And what replicants are is slave labor. Tyrell Corp started building um, replicants specifically to usher in a new era in human advancement where we started to colonize other planets we started to colonize other places and we needed a disposable workforce so they started creating replicants who are robots but they're not robots as you know them these robots are different because not only do they look human 
but they also bleed, they feel pain, and they're emotional. They have artificial intelligence, similar to a human, except in Blade Runner, they have four-year lifespans. Tyrell Corporation builds them to only last four years. Uh, probably some type of marketing tool so that people keep buying them. But they're purpose-built. There are soldier replicants. There are uh, mining replicants. There are uh, social service replicants. Uh, there are all manner of replicants that fulfill any number of tasks. There are pleasure models of women. There are anything you could ever want them for, uh, they can build them for. So, and, and not just that, but build them to spec. So if you have uh, a soldier replicant who you want to be an officer, they might make it with a little bit more intelligence. Or if you want one that's specifically good at um, assassinating people, you know, they'll go high on the intelligence and they'll go high on the uh, agility, high on the stealth stuff. So that's just an example. So if uh, you build this giant workforce that dies every four years, uh, you have a pretty big business. And that means laws. So a lot of replicants have emotions and they have thoughts and feelings and desires because they can't, for some reason, make the intelligence piece without the emotional piece. So they're essentially building synthetic humans. And this robot slave force uh, is only allowed to exist off-world, so away from Earth. And they work on these colonies in outer space, and every once in a while, they'll rebel. Uh, they'll kill all the humans around them, and they'll try to escape to find a better life. Sometimes they try to go to Earth, and on Earth... There are Blade Runners who are special detectives in every police department who go around trying to find escaped replicants. And they either kill them, which they call retiring, so they'll retire a replicant, or they'll try to bring them in and possibly return them back to uh, where they're supposed to be, off-world. So that's sort of the world that Ridley Scott created from a book called uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. And that book is good, but it's nowhere near as great as what Ridley Scott did with it. And I honestly think that 
we're not that far from artificial intelligence like that. And I feel like when that does occur, because we have people like fucking Elon Musk who are trying to get us to Mars and shit. So the idea of utilizing, and we're already using drones in war. So the idea of having replicants that are similar, if if not completely the same as the ones in Blade Runner, isn't that far off. And what I want to talk about is the idea of when do replicants get, when do robots, when, do, when does artificial intelligence get rights? Because to me, I always sympathized with the replicants in Blade Runner because they had thoughts, feelings, but they didn't have the life experience or the childhood that we have where we develop those emotions and we develop those desires and functions in our lives. We aren't assigned what we're going to do in life like a replicant. And the replicants in Blade Runner, there's four of them. One is killed outright. She was a pleasure model who was uh, blending in as a, an exotic dancer who Deckard shoots in the back. And then the second one that he kills is another pleasure model named Press, who has so many beautiful moments of humanity in her character arc that it's almost painful to see her die, and she does die in a painful way. And then you have... Roy Batty, who is a soldier model, who goes through horrible shit and does horrible things to all, all in the name of meeting his maker, Eldon Tyrell, who is the head of the Tyrell Corporation who makes replicants in an attempt to get an extension on his four-year lifespan. So I think the idea of having artificial intelligence in our time is scary to me because, I mean, you have people talking about – people who work for like Nestle talking about like uh, water not being like a human right. Uh, you got people trying to tell immigrants – who go through hell to get to this country in search of a better life to turn the fuck around, take their kids, and go go somewhere else. 
uh, you have people like that here with no ability to empathize, uh, no ability to put themselves in the other person's shoe. Uh, you have a lot of people like that in this country. And the idea of having artificial intelligence is scary to me because I'm not worried about how I, I'm not worried about artificial intelligence, uh, killing me, uh, because of anything I do. I'm afraid of artificial intelligence killing me because of something, uh, my fellow American (laughs) does. And you have white supremacist movements in America always have, um, that's not a far stretch to human supremacist movements when artificial intelligence starts to look like us and no longer has the uncanny valley effect where you know it's a robot and you're at and you're and you're uneasy almost scared when they perfect that and that's no longer a thing and they start to look like us and blend in. Uh, I have no doubt that human supremacist movements would probably pop up, where people, you know, might seek out and kill uh, artificial intelligence like that. So it comes to the idea of uh, what limitations do we set? Would it be like? how cloning is today where you're only allowed to clone a human up to four uh, embryonic cells before you're legally obligated to terminate it. So would you have to set a like emotional intelligence benchmark or a self-awareness benchmark that a artificial intelligence cannot, is not allowed to surpass. And if you do, it's a crime. Or if you give them wholesale uh, artificial intelligence and allow them free range to create however smart or self-aware they can make, um, what does that entail? Do they have the same rights as me and you? Do they have the same rights as second-class citizens? then you're kind of getting into Jim Crow territory, I think. Because to me, the idea of something that has the ability to create and they've designed artificial intelligence that exists right now and they've told it, hey, here's the internet, look at it and then make art for me. And it does it. To me, creation is a, it's a spark of – okay, so expressionism through art to me is a spark of humanity. It's, a, it's not just that. It's also – I mean I've seen elephants paint to be creative and that to me shows a soul. So how do you measure – 
how do you measure a soul? What needs to happen before you recognize that something is no longer an object or a thing, but an entity that deserves your respect and has a right to exist and a right to other things. That's a scary thought. And it's also something that I don't think a lot of people who are in the business of creating artificial intelligence really care to think about too much. And it's also something that I think media portrayals like movies and TV, uh, other than Blade Runner, (laughs) uh, have never accurately portrayed in a realistic, pragmatic way. Because if you look around, um, a lot of people argue that you shouldn't increase the minimum wage to $15. This will all make sense, I promise. Uh, You shouldn't increase the minimum wage because that'll incentivize businesses like McDonald's or Burger King to get rid of their front desk people or whatever, their register uh, people in lieu of touchscreens to type out your orders instead of just telling them to someone. Which is a true thing, you know, that's, that's a side effect of that that could happen. But more realistically to me, um, when you create artificial intelligence that's self-aware and able to calculate and coordinate events and actions and uh, all manner of things, what happens to the foreman of a construction site? when he decides that he's not getting paid enough. You know what? I think I'm just going to replace him with a replicant. You know, they don't argue, and they'll do three times the work. You know what? That foreman really worked out. I'm going to replace my entire workforce with replicants. And while... In some cases, this would be a good thing, like in extremely dangerous uh, work zones, like a flight deck on an aircraft carrier, or uh, EOD, explosive ordnance handlers, bomb technicians otherwise. Um, For really dangerous jobs, yeah, that's a good thing, you know, replace them with drones or replace them with a a robot that can handle that situation. So I guess keeping them to a certain standard based on that job built to spec would be needed. Sorry, I'm working this out in my head as I'm telling as I'm talking. Uh that's a lot. And I imagine in our very capitalist society, uh that would breed competition 
to see who can make the best drones and replicants. Because you can't have a drone for a very important job like being the foreman of a construction site. Uh, you can't have a drone as a lawyer. You can't have a drone as a police officer. you got to have something capable of critical thinking and situational awareness. So then, how does that affect policy? How does that affect laws? How does that affect what replicants or drones can do to you, but or, or what can you do to them? If they're intelligent like a replicant is, and you damage it, is it damage of property, or is it assault? Is it both? These are the things I ponder. <laughs> on long nights such as this. Part of me thinks that humanity or the Western world or I shouldn't say the Western world anymore. That's not even a a thing. Um, it is, but it's not in the way that I want to say it. Um, Part of me feels that humanity will rise to the occasion and handle this in a effective way to where it makes sense. But I'm also being optimistic, I think. Like it or not, artificial intelligence is coming, and I honestly think it'll be here quicker than you know. Probably within our lifetime, I'm 30, so when I say our, I mean like millennials. And to me, that's a very cool thing to see my childhood uh my first interaction with a world like that um, brought to life in some form, probably a primitive form. I think drones are going to be more wholesale than the idea of replicants. Come to think of it, how would... Because you have... Christian groups against all manner of things. Christian mothers against uh, comic books was a thing back in the uh, 40s. That's how the comic code kind of came about, but it wasn't just them. It was also like a bunch of other people, but I wouldn't doubt it if there was like a religious movement against artificial intelligence of the replicant caliber. It's a lot to think about, and it's almost too much to really be able to consider what would realistically happen. Would replicants be able to marry humans? Would humans be able to have replicants... Um, as indentured servants, which once again plays into the slavery thing. If a replicant can feel 
desire and create and have emotional maturity. Uh, I don't think anything with a soul should be owned like that. And I think a lot of other people would agree with me. So then it comes down to the idea of my morality versus someone else's objectification. I told you this is going to be a very different episode and I, I, uh, I, I, I was definitely correct. <laughs> I just think about all the different things that could honestly happen with, with, uh, having a replicant society. In Blade Runner, a lot of the uh, fauna of the world have died and gone extinct. So real-life animals are very rare and very, very expensive if you do have them. So Tyrell Corporation makes synthetic animals, replicant animals. I think I see a snake and uh, an owl in the uh, movie. So I think the idea of having replicant animals is kind of cool. It would make having service dogs a lot easier to train. It would make zoos a lot more um, morally okay because you could just make drones that don't have emotions and aren't caged and shells of their former selves like a lot of animals you see at the zoo are. It also puts a new spin to war. So if, if, if two nations fight with replicants... And both sides, or one side, uses up all their replicants. Are they going to fight with drones? And then when they use up all their drones, are they going to fight with people again? Is it even worth it to use those things if you end up at the same place? Losing human life? Or would it become a new thing where once you run out of replicants and drones, you just say, okay, fuck it, you win? That's not going to be the case. Humans never give in that easily. It's our greatest strength in a way, our stubbornness. Would having replicants and drones cheapen how people see life inadvertently? If you have a replicant that looks like a human, talks like a human, emotes like a human, and you treat them like property, as I'm sure a lot of companies would, as a labor force, uh, and you have one get crushed on the job or caught in a machine or lose limbs, do you write it off as 
broken? Do you do you fix them? Do you just replace them outright? And then do you apply that same concept to other humans? If you grow up in that environment, do you see other humans as being replaceable? If you see something that looks human get replaced? You know, I, I grew up without the internet for, I want to say, the first 10 years of my life. And then I grew up without social media until I was 18. My first inclination of social media was MySpace and then Facebook. And now you have all manner of social media. So I had a childhood where I didn't have a cell phone until I was 15, and I didn't have the internet in, until I was like uh, 9 or 10. And then I didn't really use the internet until I was like in high school. So I'm sort of this transitional generation, and now you have Gen Z where they grew up with the internet and we're not even at a place where we can even measure how that's socially changed them compared to prior generations. So I think that's sort of the parallel I'm getting at with people who grow up with replicants or in the transitional period with replicants uh, or, or, or artificial intelligence. It's w whatever word you want to use. I just like using replicants because it's cooler to me. Uh, but yeah, these are things that I ponder and things that I think are definitely going to happen sooner or later. It's just a question of thinking about them now and sort of having a plan for it. How are you going to feel? So, I hope you're doing okay. I hope things are, are going okay for you. The pandemic seems to... seems to be slowing down. And it seems to be... Uh, very slowly returning back to normal or whatever the fuck you want to call this that we're living in these days I hope you're doing okay I hope you're healthy and uh yeah I'll uh I'll see you in the next one I hope this wasn't too boring I hope it wasn't too nerdy for you it's just something that I'm really passionate about I fucking love Blade Runner and if you've never seen Blade Runner, do yourself a service and go watch it. Uh, and then after that, you can watch the three YouTube shorts that Denny Villeneuve made before uh, you watch Blade Runner 2049. So if you're going to watch them, you got to watch them in this order. You watch Blade Runner, and then you watch uh, 2022... Oh, sorry, Blade Runner 2022, The Blackout, which is an anime. And then after that, you watch Blade Runner 2036, which is a live action with Jared Leto. 
and then you watch uh, Blade Runner 2048, which has uh, Dave Bautista in it, and then you watch Blade Runner 2049. And there's a whole comic series uh, in between all that. So uh, if you want to get lost in a really cool world, uh, I really suggest the Blade Runner series. It's done a lot for me creatively, how I look at things, how I ponder things clearly. Uh, it meant a lot to me in my childhood and continues to do so. So uh, yeah, take care and I'll, I'll see you in the next one.